These are the confessions of American Christians repenting of American Christianity. This is the world we made. So what has been your experience of being a shepherd of abortion in your congregation? Well, I'll tell two examples that are suggestive. One was when I first came to Bloomington, I had a church that was filled with Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and the, what was the Athletes in Action or Christian Athletes or Fellowship, a- athletes, fellowship of Christian Athletes, yeah. Navigators. And so there were a ton of graduate students and undergraduate, hundreds of them. And I'm going to guess it was within the first three months of my being there. The end of Christmas break had come. And then in February, I had a woman come and set up an appointment to come into the office with me. I've always made it a practice, by the way, of never, ever meeting alone with a woman, ever. I have sometimes done it with the door open, with the person working at the secretary's desk able to see me and the counselee. But there's always somebody in with us. And I want to say that because I want to warn you, there is no excuse for you as a pastor, as an elder, ever dealing with a woman alone. You don't do that. But I did meet with this woman, and she wanted to meet with me to talk to me about something that she was suffering under dreadfully. And it finally came out that she was in Campus Crusade, and she'd gotten pregnant with her boyfriend, who was also in Campus Crusade. And... She described going home knowing she was pregnant. So she must have been a couple of months pregnant by that time, still in the first trimester. And when she got home, her parents were Christians. She told them that she was pregnant, and they told her that she had to abort her child. And she said, no, she did not want to abort her child. And they said, well, you have to. So they pressured her all during Christmas break, and she refused to have an abortion. Finally, her father said to her, Carol or whatever her name was, Carol, we will not allow you to go back to IU until you have an abortion. And so she still refused to have an abortion. And so the new semester started. She got a number of weeks into the new semester. And then I remember her just looking at me and just tearing up and saying, but finally, I went ahead and I had the abortion. And she was just inconsolable that she had had an abortion. And so it was obvious that she knew it was sin. And I know that some people are going to object to what I'm about to say, but this is what I did. I looked at her and I said, so what did you do? Very gently. And she looked at me and she said, what do you mean? I said, well, what did you do? And she said, well, do you mean abortion? I had an abortion. I said, yes, you had an abortion. And so what did you do? And she was thinking and thinking about what I was asking. And then she looked at me, and it dawned on her. And she said, I killed my baby. And of course, I'm sure I was crying too. And I said, no, you murdered your baby. Now, before anybody judges me, let me ask, is it true that she murdered her baby? It's true. Is it true that there will be many lashes 
for her parents and her father mostly. Is it true that the horror of taking money from women like that to kill their babies on the part of the doctor and the staff at Planned Parenthood or whatever? Yes, 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 yes. But let us ask ourselves the question, what is the moral agency of women today? What is their agency? And people might say, well, do you have to play the blame game as a pastor? Do you have to judge people? Don't you feel okay leaving judgment to God? And I say, yeah, that sounds real good. But am I not supposed to bind up the brokenhearted? And, and they would say, well, that's exactly the opposite of what you did. You didn't bind up her heart. You were the accuser. And I say, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. But why do you think I did it? In other words, people are very cheerful to condemn a pastor for what he does, as long as they don't have to think whether there might have been a good reason why he did. And so I say, why do you think I did it? I did it for the same reason when you talk to people who have been molested or raped, you want to deal with their sense of any way at all that they contributed to it. Because their souls, their moral agents, and they themselves have been involved in the death of a child, and you want her to see her sin as starkly as she can. So that you can then say to her, now, I want you to know I got you to say that so that you understand the mercy of God to us, that we are murderers and that sin Christ died for. And people never think about the fact that it is the job of the tightest two women and the elders and the pastors in a church to define the sin carefully enough that the person who hears the keys being turned to release them from their sin and their guilt, and I'm not saying I had the ability to release her, but I do carry the keys, and I am to speak in behalf of heaven to her. And I want to speak to her about her sin in such a way that she is absolutely certain that God himself forgives her for that sin, not for lesser sin, not for not being really the sinner. It was really her dad with good would it have done for me to do what I think most pastors would do, which is to say, your father's awful. I can't believe he did that. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I think you need to talk this through with other women. Now, my wife is a woman that you might be able to talk this through with about how awful your father is. And what about this scoundrel that you <laughs> think you love in, in Campus Crusade? How could he be a Christian if he got you pregnant? She came in because of her guilt. She didn't come in because of her father's guilt. And are we not to believe in sin and to proclaim the forgiveness and mercy of God for the most awful sins? So that's one answer. There's that episode, which I tell so that people have a chance to decide that I really am as awful as they thought I am. But the joy that came over her, the peace that came over her, when I immediately proceeded to open up the extravagant, unbelievably huge forgiveness of God, that he, as far as the East is from the West, murder of a baby is cast away from us and we're washed in the blood. Now, another one, because these are symptomatic, and this second one is much more problematic for the church and always has been than surgical abortion. I had a couple that were living together having sex. And so one time she thought that she had gotten pregnant, and so she took a bunch of the morning after pill. And they told me that intentionally to make it clear to me they wanted to abort their child, that she, they thought she was pregnant. 
They took the morning after pill, hoping that it would abort the child. And then they announced to me that sure enough, she wasn't pregnant. They didn't take it all the time. They weren't on the pill. They took it after one time they had sex that she thought. Then they told me that they had sex. And this time they thought she was pregnant also. And they took the morning after pill. And the reason they were in my office was to tell me that they were now pregnant and that they had taken the morning after pill and it hadn't worked this time. Okay, now, what did I do in that situation? Well, I didn't ask them whether they realized they had murdered their child the first time, but that's because it was a completely different situation and different people. And in that case, my being a pastor was to open up the violation of the Sixth Commandment of them using the morning after pill, but also to help them be committed to not continuing to fornicate and to provide a stable home for a child that was now in her womb and to hope and pray and do everything possible so that he would not cast that woman off. Like, what's the name of the guy in the Old Testament that, that cast off his sister when Tamar and anyhow you know huh? Amnon 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 you know how Amnon cast her off and hated her as soon Mm -hmm. as he took her yeah well I had to be concerned about that in this situation and providing for their marriage providing the best possible situation in which the mother would become a Christian providing for the future stability of that child and I would say that's for every one surgical abortion in church there are probably 50 to 100 chemical abortions in the church because it's a much more hypocritical pharisaical sin. It's much easier to hide. And so that's going to be the It's nature. also much easier to lie to yourself about. Well, open that up. Well, you just have, we'll talk about this in, a, in other places, but when you've redefined the definition of conception and you have doctors promoting yeah. different contraceptive methods that are actually abortifacient, as contraceptive, it's just really, really easy to. So we we had this just recently in our church where there's a woman who had an IUD, and Amanda was talking to her, and she did not know or believe that it was abortifacient. Mm-hmm. She went though to her doctor to get some kind of conscientious objection for the COVID vaccine because it had used aborted fetal cells, and the doctor's like, "You have an IUD." Don't you know what that does? Don't mm-hmm. you know how that works? The doctor said The doctor this? said that, yeah, mm-hmm. to, to her. Don't you have an IUD? Don't you know how that works? This, this is hypocrisy. You can't have an objection to this over here while you have an IUD. And, oh, my goodness. And so wow. then she was I'm, like, oh. And so then they went through the that, process that of— That doctor was Roman Catholic. Almost surely down here. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was probably at a Catholic institution, which oh, we have an abundance goodness. of down here. But they went to— the process of actually accepting that, getting rid of the IUD, mm-hmm. going through the whole process. And it's really easy with all of these things to, to lie to yourself because it's just so pervasive and so commonplace. Well, and they work so hard in the literature now to, to, to lie as well, well. But it takes a special kind of time in the life of the church that the pastors cultivate ignorance in themselves and their people. Let's take a brief moment away from Tim and talk about some of that. We were talking earlier about where the church was at when abortion hit, but where has the church stood in regards to abortion, historically speaking? 
easy. For over 2,000 years, the church called abortion evil. Actually, even before that, God's people have always hated abortion. The Jews were famous for hating abortion and hating the pagan practice of exposing infants and letting them die. But let's talk about the New Testament church. After Jesus came, some of the defining features of God's people began to change. No more prohibition about diet, for example. But Christians still hated abortion. The Jews said it was a crime against man, but Christians spoke of it as a crime against God. The Jews opposed abortion and the exposure of infants in the Roman Empire. Oh, you said they were kind of famous for it, actually. Right, but this was focused on their own communities. Unlike the Christians. The Christians opposed these murders even among the pagans. They opposed it in their speaking and writing, and then when they got power, they opposed it in laws and policies. Most importantly, Christians actually rescued the babies, taking them from the hillsides into their homes and adopting them as their own children. Which, can you imagine, by the way, being in a society where you could just walk past a hillside where there's a baby left to die and it's crying, mosquitoes, flies crawling over it? I mean, I think sometimes we read a tidy little description of history and we don't put ourselves there. But what about the church fathers moving forward in history? Again, easy. All the church fathers abominated abortion. We only have time on this podcast to give you a brief impressionistic look at all of the quotes from church fathers, but you can certainly read them fully over on Evangel's abortion document, which we will link to in the show notes. Yeah, you shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill that which is begotten. That's a quote from the Didache, the early Christian manual of doctrine and practice. And here is a quote from a letter of Barnabas. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor in turn shall you kill him after it is born. And here is a quote by Clement the Tudor. For those women who, to cover their immorality, use abortifacient drugs. And a quote from Tertullian. Prevention of birth is hastened homicide. And here is Basil. Quote, when a woman has with intentionality destroyed a fetus, she is held to be guilty of murder. And here's a quote from Ambrose. Also, the rich themselves, lest their inheritance be divided among many, kill their own offspring in the womb. Here's a quote from the Apostolic Constitutions. You shall not slay your child by abortion, nor kill that which is begotten. For everything that has been some, when they know they have conceived through wickedness, turn to abortive drugs. Often, oh, when this they one too from the Church Father Augustine. Indeed, sometimes this lustful cruelty or cruel lust extends so far. And here is John oh, Calvin. Here's what Martin Luther has to say in his commentary Quote, the unborn, on though enclosed in the womb of his mother, is already a human being, and it is an almost monstrous crime to rob it of life, which it has not yet begun to enjoy. Yeah, so the church hates baby murder and always has, if you can imagine that. And it's worth noting, so does Christendom at large. We've talked a lot about the ways that baby murder has always been a thing, but it turns out that even outside of the church, society has opposed it, especially societies downstream of Jesus and his teachings. Sure, let's hop into a time machine back to the 1800s when medical science and knowledge had advanced until we really, truly knew for a fact that life began at conception. Which is why the American Medical Association led the effort to protect preborn kids through state statutes in the mid to late 1800s. Right, they did stuff like expanding the definition of the crime of abortion to include the killing of the preborn before what they called quickening, any time after the moment of conception. Punishing the advertising and use of abortifacient drugs, which to that point had been advertised in many newspapers and kept for sale by local druggists in a wink-wink under-the-counter manner. Of course, in the 20th century, Griswold versus Connecticut, Roe v. Wade, and Doe v. Bolton abolished these legal protections through what Supreme Court Justice White, dissenting in Roe v. Wade, called, quote, 
a raw exercise of judicial power, end quote. Which wasn't the Supreme Court moving forward. It wasn't civilization moving forward. It was actually everybody moving backward, back into savagery, at least 2,000 years backward, in my humble opinion. 20th century really was a callous age, and so is the 21st. Future historians might call us the barbarians. You know, I said I was listening to Christianity and Liberalism by Machen. The title of this chapter is God and Man. And on the way over here, I listened to him saying this. He says, and remember, he's writing this back around 1920. Modern liberalism has lost all sense of the gulf that separates the creature from the creator. And then he says, the consciousness of sin was formerly the starting point of all preaching. (laughs) It's just like, I'm going to die and go to heaven. The consciousness of sin was formerly the starting point of all preaching. And then he says, but today it is gone. Characteristic of the modern age, above all else, is the supreme confidence in human goodness. The religious literature of the day is redolent, there's a dead word, of that confidence. You think of gentle and lowly. Oh, yeah, we're just all in need of reassurance about how gentle and lowly God is. No transcendence, just he's gentle and lowly. And he is. I'm not arguing that he isn't. But get beneath the rough exterior of men, we are told, and we shall discover enough self-sacrifice to found upon it the hope of society. The world's evil, it is said, can be overcome with the world's good. No help is needed from outside the world. What has produced this satisfaction with human goodness, which I think is pervasive across the conservative Reformed Church? What has become of the consciousness of sin? The consciousness of sin has certainly been lost, but what has removed it from the hearts of men? And then listen to this. He says, in the first place, the war has perhaps had something to do with the change. In time of war, our attention is called so exclusively to the sins of other people that we are sometimes inclined to forget our own sins. And when I was listening to this on our way here, Nathan, to you and Meredith's and Theo's home, I thought that's exactly the proper analysis of the pro-life commitments of the conservative church. The conservative church is convinced that abortion is a war that is out there. The conservative church has turned abortion into a culture war. It will not preach to itself. It will not allow sin. It will not acknowledge sin. It will not preach to the conscience. It will not preach the law. And so to the conservative church, yes, it's pro-life, but it's only pro-life because of its culture war. You think of this woman, Jake, that you're talking about. The only thing that woke her to abortion was the fact that the rabble-rousers had told her that she was going to become a part of government tyranny by taking a vaccine that had some obscure, distant relationship to unborn children. And yet in her own womb, you know what I'm saying? Yep. And this is part of the hypocrisy in the church. We think that abortion is something out there and that we don't do it. And that is the center of the document on abortion of Evangel Presbyter. And that's why it was not in the least harmed by the unbelievably surprising reversal of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. The document was already written. 
Mm-hmm. We've changed a couple of places in the document to acknowledge the, the formal reversal. But the whole document was just as on the spot after the reversal as before the reversal, mm-hmm. because in point of fact, surgical abortions are nothing today. They're just nothing. And certainly when it comes to the church, And so I thought it was fascinating that Machen says that the absence of sin is particularly common in a time of war because in a time of war, you're focusing on the sins of others. And that's the culture war. Bad guy, good guy. Yeah. And that's what all the belligerators, all the people talking about government, Terry, today, they're so good at pointing to the speck of the pagan's eye as they use forms of birth control that kill their children. What we do now is we, it's like we cultivate, we start war, we frame everything as war. So that we can always have an us-them narrative, good guy, bad guy. That's and we always be I the good guy. I never realized that. That us-them narrative is pervasive and it's consistent and it's through everything that we do. It's in all of our art forms, it's in our movies, it's in everything that is fed to us. An us-them narrative <clears throat> is really about you're either in and part of the good guys, or you are the bad guys and deserve to die. And we talk about this across all platforms at this point because the narrative has changed and it didn't used to be like that. There used to be an objective standard or a sense that there was an objective standard or a code of some kind, Mm -hmm. and you had to at least align with the code. And that's why you read the Russian psychological novels. Honestly, it's like, why do pagans have so much of an easier time recognizing the good and evil men and the evil and good men. Why are Christians incapable of doing that? To support the world we made and the writing and speaking of Tim Bailey, please give at patreon.com forward slash out of our minds to support warhorn media more generally you can make a tax deductible donation at warhornmedia.com forward slash give and don't forget to rate and review subscribe and share thanks and god bless